and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through a very special show with my co-host, Frank Washcook, who's the executive editor on PR Week. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, We've got on, a Steve. packed studio this week. We too, and a packed office. Everybody's Indeed. in. Tuesdays and Wednesdays at Haymarket Towers, everybody's in, and it's good fun, isn't and it? And well fed. Yes, indeed. So uh, we're going to um, chat with Frank about a bunch of new stories. Lots going on this week. We've done a big deep dive into AI. So we'll talk about that. Omnicom was the first holding company to have its uh, full year financials and Q4s. We'll chat through them. The Grammys and Taylor Swift. It's the Super Bowl this weekend. So we'll uh, test the excitement around that. Grinder has appointed a new agency and the usual batch of latest people moves and account wins but we've got super special guests for you this week listeners a real treat we've got the dynamic duo themselves the biggest <laughs> pr story for well 15 years frank it's quite a long a, time yeah yeah since weber sort of rolled up together i think which yeah. is before i even came over here well so. you could make a case for that Omnicom publicist yeah, but that never combination happened. that, that never, never happened, happened, Frank. This is this is news. This <laughs> happened. We got Corey Debrauer, who's no the pressure, CEO guys. of Burson. Corey, welcome. Steve, thank you very much. Good Great to have to be you here. here. Been nice. looking forward to this show. Nice to be here in uh, Haymarket Towers. And oh, by the way, uh, happy International Clash Day for those who celebrate. Yeah. Um, Showing our age a bit there, but the, they were one of the greatest <laughs> bands ever, weren't they? They were and, certainly uh, one of the greatest bands ever. But, you know, this was my friend John Richards from KEXP was bored about a decade ago, decided he was going to play All Clash, handed the baton to his friends in the studio. They did it a full day, and now you got stations all over the world that do it. So. Yeah, so listeners, you know, you might not know that Corey, has, in addition to all his other skills, is a DJ and, uh, yeah, a multifaceted uh, executive. But we're also joined by the other half of the new power uh, axis at Burson. It's Anna Maria De Salva, who's global chairman at Burson. How are you doing, Anna Maria? Good, Steve. Thank you. Also a Clash fan. Good. So, no, no, no. Are you a Clash <laughs> fan, Frank? Before am, your yeah. time. No, right? I'm, I'm a Clash <laughs> fan. Well, we could do the whole show about <laughs> this. <laughs> 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 but have you got used to saying Burson yet? You know. <laughs> I, in fact, I have, and it's, it has a velocity and a momentum all of its own. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You used to work at GCI, didn't you? Was, were I they, did. Was I, that when it was part of Burson? It was before it, it got connected to right, Burson. Right. Yep. But so, I, I love GCI Health, so it's great to be reconnected with that yeah, amazing Yeah, for sure, yep. for sure. And I guess it's different for you, Corey, as well, because it was BCW, wasn't it? So, it was. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the B in BCW was Burson, but it was, was. a little, little hidden. Well, why don't you tell us about that? You know, why did you go back to back to the future in a little way, you know, um, bringing back that? Not that we don't love initials and acronyms and all that, but that we do seem to be moving away from them, don't we, in lots of areas of life? Yeah, it's ESG, DE&I, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but why, why go back to sort of the Burson branding? Well, I think there are, there are probably two reasons, Steve. One is just the, you know, the man himself, Harold Burson, who, you know, when we were thinking about... So even before uh, Anna Marie and I were talking about the thing we would build together, we were talking at BCW about, is BCW even the right name for this thing that we're trying to build? And what Anna Marie and I, when we were getting to know one another, my first six months uh, at the firm, it was so clear to us that the things that we were trying to build separately were kind of the same thing. You know, we believed so strongly that reputation, whether it's, you know, building reputation, protecting reputation, enhancing reputation, that that was really what I cared about. 
as a client for 15 years. And that was the perspective that I, I brought to the agency. And so uh, it probably felt a little buried in the BCW nomenclature. And so once we started talking about the thing that we might not build separately anymore, that we might build together, uh, going back in time to look at what Harold stood for. I mean, you know, a lot of the things that he spoke of in his books and that he was talking about as a counselor, I think the agency celebrated 70 years last year. I mean, these have been pretty timeless things. And so to, to take what Harold stood for in terms of, you know, integrity, transparency, the work ethic, the quality of what we brought to clients and how we would basically give clients that sort of agency with reputation being the driver uh, of the way the brands were were being brought to life made perfect sense. Yeah, I do recall visiting Harold's office in New York and he had a lovely office with a radio playing in the background. People used to come visit him both from within the agency and externally, even in his 90s. But he had a plaque on the wall and it was a list of the agency rankings from like 25 years ago and it was Burson on top and Hill and Knowlton second, right? This was pre-Edelman <laughs> and Weber days and, you know, obviously these Burson and H&K used to be the two biggest agencies in the world. So let's, I want to tackle a few of the questions that have come up since sure. the merger was announced. Sure. And one of them is, isn't it a shame that H&K or Hill & Knowlton is disappearing as a brand, Anna Maria? So I'm sure you're going to, and I know you've carefully been already saying together and the people announcements this morning, the leadership announcements, it's like, looks like one person, person, one H&K person, very, very balanced. So what would you say to those who say, well, it's a real shame that the, the Hill & Knowlton brand has disappeared? Well, I, I, I'm glad you asked because it gives us a chance to clarify, <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> to clarify that it's not disappearing. And I think that, you know, it's important to consider the value that Hill and Knowlton is rolling into this merger, you know, that we've been building and strengthening the company for some time now. And when you look at those leadership announcements that we made today, you can see the some of the amazing people we've brought to the company and, and who have had great careers at Hill and Knowlton. Um, you know, so there's, there's just um, a lot of value that uh, as a merger of equals that the Hill and Knowlton side of the merger of the combination um, is, is, is bringing into the future Burson. Uh, but we are going to be a house of brands and it's important to go to market that way. You know, we talk about that internally, that uh, Burson will be the flagship brand and it will be a very substantial company, obviously, and it will be the, the great engine um, for the overall company. Uh, but like other competitors that are of that scale in the market, you know, we will have other brands that allow us to grow the way that we participate in the market and do much more in the market. And that's already been true at BCW, um, you know, BCW, GCI and Axicom. And Hill and Knowlton will continue as a full service strategic communications company uh, within the Burson enterprise. And we'll, you know, right out of the gate, we'll be ser serving really amazing clients through the through the H&K brand. Will that be like regional based because there are areas of the world where H&K is a lot stronger than frankly in the US where it's, it has struggled in recent years. Um, is that the way it'll roll out or is it is it a more of a conflict brand that you can go in and say well we can work for two auto companies or something like this? How's it how's it going to play out? Yeah I mean it's I would say that it's it's geography agnostic. It's not going to be like you know we spike out a couple of markets where Hill and Knowlton continues to operate. It will continue to operate globally and we have clients in the portfolio that we know we're going to start with who are going to need that global support and representation. There are conflicts in the portfolio I you know I think would be classically defined as such. I mean we have we work you know for every industry in the world and 
you know, with a lot of innovators and leaders and, and, and that is as it should be, but we already have the structure baked in to be able to do that with a lot of um, integrity and support for clients. So uh, there, you know, there may be, we're, we're working through many things right now, but there may be a couple of markets in the world where, um, you know, Hill and Knowlton is a very visible brand because that's been the heritage in that market, but we'll have, uh, we'll have more to say about that soon. Yeah. I yeah. mean, to Anna Maria's point one, maybe just to build on that a little bit, Steve, like, as a client, I watched several of our now at an agency from an agency perspective, our largest competitors have to build or buy conflict capacity. Uh, and it takes time and effort. And there's obviously a cultural um, requirement that comes along with that. And so the beauty of what we had already been doing, as Anna Maria said, you know, with MBCW, we already had um, Axicom playing a really specific tech role. We have GCI playing a really specific healthcare role, but also can help to manage conflict within the portfolio. So we've been doing it for many, many years. There's already that muscle that's built. And so what H&K really brings, I think, to the new person, you know, branded house of brands is that same capacity, but across multiple industries now. So uh, if I thought beyond just sort of like what healthcare and tech have to manage in terms of conflict, which is considerable, uh, Hill and Knowlton brings a, a whole different capacity on a global basis, which is uh, it's great because the client uh, feedback so far from clients has been almost universally positive. And in many ways, that's simply because what clients care the most about is the quality of their team and the quality of the work. Right. And that relationship of trust that you build over time. So when you get feedback from Ford, which has been a WPP client for 80 plus years that says, can't wait to see what you guys build together. And we feel really good about, you know, what what the two of you will bring in terms of like a unique, uh, I mean, you said it, it's a merger of equals, you know, what you will bring uniquely is a third thing that sits beyond what BCW or Hill and Knowlton were doing independently. Uh, that's, that's really, it's a strong indicator. I think you used to work together on Ford anyway, even as separate agencies, Correct. Um, yes. along with the other WPP team, team Ford's yes. exactly. setup. Yeah. Yeah. Let me play devil's advocate, Corey. Um, I, you know, I do recall similar rhetoric, when Burson and Conan Wolf came together as one agency, BCW, and it it was it was called Burson Conan Wolf at first, then all of a sudden it was BCW, and then the Conan Wolf has kind of disappeared as a brand. Um, and a lot of people, maybe the cynics out there, see the same thing pattern rolling out as well. What, what would you say to those people? Because all, the other part of that was actually the Conan Wolf people tended to get more of the top jobs, maybe because of the uh, history of Donna uh, Imperato, who was the CEO who came from that part of the business. And Don Bear was the person person and he eventually left after a couple of years. What do you say to those people who've observed that and, and expect exactly the same things to happen with this merger? Yeah, I can't really speak to that. I mean, as you know, I was I wasn't here at that time. And so I can't really speak to like the decisions that were made or how the leadership team was formed. I mean, I've obviously had the benefit of meeting uh, both people who remained with the agency and are still a part of our leadership team now. And frankly, a lot of alumni, you know, I think that was maybe one of the most rewarding parts of the announcement a couple of weeks ago is the, just the sheer number uh, of alumni who kind of came out of the woodwork to, Person, yeah, yeah to, to congratulate us on the decision, but also, you know, they felt like they were sort of cheering us on. I, I think a lot of it, Steve, has to do with the, um, the areas of both, a uh, common purpose that Anna Marie and I have in terms of thinking about our respective things that we were building before and also where we can complement one another, right? When I look at the way that the two firms might fit together in the future, I think about things that Anna Maria and team were building that frankly 
we were pretty envious of at BCW. Like we would have built essentially the same thing. You know, we would have wanted the strength of Hill and Knowlton's global network. We would have wanted their discipline around practices and the way that they were thinking about how to take specific capability to market in a very disciplined way. Um, we were both thinking about how AI is going to play a huge role in the future of uh, both the way the clients work and the way that the agency works. And you're already seeing some of that today with uh, products like Decipher. By the way, thank you for recognizing Chad as one of your dashboard 25. I yeah, think no he's, worries. We'll chat, about, we'll chat a bit more about the AI part. He's uh, in, building in something special, function. and uh, so is Grant Toops and, and the team over at Hill and & Knowlton. And so there were a nice set of common things that we could agree to, and then there were things that felt complementary to one another, and we agreed on what those complementary areas were. So, again, I can't really speak to the Burson, Conan, Wolf era, I think that might have been a slightly different thing in that Conan Wolf was probably more known as like a marketing communications firm. Burson was more of a corporate communications firm. So again, in theory, it would have worked quite well as complementary things. But I, I think we're pretty clear about where our shared areas of expertise are and where we think we complement one another well, which has played out, as you pointed out, in the way that we formed our initial announcements around the leadership team. Yeah. Just a quick a quick add, which which is to say, just building on Corey's observation and point about the two of us, we've both been on the client side for roughly 15 to 18 years earlier in our careers. And I think uh, that combination of client side experience and agency leadership experience gives us a very similar view of the market. And I think we share a view of what's important, what matters going forward, how these companies are going to have to perform and what they're going to have to achieve both for employees um, and for clients. And so that was remarkably um, aligned. And I think that we discovered that. I think the WPP saw that. And so I think fundamentally there's a different proposition at the start of this merger than with other mergers. And I also think that our client experience um, helps because we've both done big mergers before, right. you know, like we are both on like really familiar territory. We know how mergers work. We know how to execute them. And uh, I hope, I mean, it's early days still, but that's our commitment to our people is that they're going to have a quality experience because we're not going to let them down. You know, we're not going to let yeah, them down. Yeah, you've been in their shoes. So yeah, you know. yeah, we have. yeah. Well, totally. and I mean, again, you think about what like matters the most through those, um, through those journeys that companies take when they merge. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not clear from the start about what your sort of rank stack of your hierarchy is, what are your priorities? And, you know, for, for us, it was pretty clear from the start that because we came from the same client experience, we both had agency experience before too. We'd both done mergers and acquisition things before yeah. that really we were thinking like the client work is the most important part. This And this harkens back to the way that like Harold formed his firm 70 years ago. The client work is the most important thing. The quality of that work is most important. The sort of uh, high bandwidth of trust that you have between your team and uh, your client is most important. So if we can get the client work right, if we can make sure that the teams remain focused on that work um, and that we give, because of the scale at which we operate, much more career opportunity for our people, uh, the way that they can experience different industries, different parts of our own industry, different disciplines within communications, marketing, digital, et cetera. Like we offer almost an unparalleled opportunity for people to build, you know, what now probably seems like uh, a non-existent thing, a long multi-decade career at one place working on a multitude uh, of clients. Uh, you know, any agency would probably be very happy to have the kind of access to client work that yeah, we, I think we when, have. Yeah, I think when we first set this 
podcast up, you know, this person's story was in, was, uh, hadn't happened. And I, I guess one of my first questions to you would have been, how have you found it being in the agency world after six months? Because whilst obviously you have a history at we, and you've done, you've been in the client side a long time at Starbucks, Google, etc. How has it been for you? You know, coming into a, it's a very different job, isn't it? Being the totally CEO different. of an agency to being a client side where, you know, you're running at a hundred miles an hour, probably in both jobs, but it's, it's a bit different running an agency, isn't it, Anne-Marie? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so how, how, how have you found it? You know, and, and what's been the biggest sort of uh, things that maybe surprised you when, when you came in? Yeah, I mean, it is a completely different job to your point. I mean, for 15 years, I'm sure Anna-Maria can vouch for this. I mean, really as a client, what you're obsessed with is, what is the message? Who's the messenger? And what's the platform? Like lather, rinse, repeat over and over and over like discipline. That's, that's the engine that you're running on behalf of, in my case, Starbucks, Salesforce, and, and Google. Um, so as a CEO of a company, you're doing different things, right? I mean, you're running a proper business. You're thinking about the balance sheet. You're thinking about the, the balance of your employee population. I mean, it's really a chance, I suppose, to think about if you've been a CEO counselor for 15 years, which I had been like, are you prepared to put some of the, some of that counsel into practice? And so, um, so that's been, uh, both a very different part of the job, but also really exciting. I felt like, you know, particularly Google was such an amazing experience. I mean, when Sundar and I were kind of having our last meeting with one another, I was like, you know, I may phone you up and ask you for some counsel as a CEO, because, you know, this, this is going to be a new hat for me to wear. Um, so it's been really exciting. And I think that, you know, within the WPP framework, uh, when we then decided to go from running independent agencies, BCW and Hilton Knowlton, to this thing that we were going to build together, um, it was great to see their level of support for what it was that we had aligned the vision that we had. You know, so WPP agreed to that, the board agreed to that, we, we've been charging forward. So that's probably been the most pleasant surprise because when I was as a client, often what you're doing is talking with other clients and sort of trading shop notes about like, well, how do you run this? Or, you know, what's the best practice for that? Or, you know, tell me about your AI capability or whatever it is that we were talking about. And so running a firm now, when you get to counsel clients, it's, you, you can draw on that 15 year history to kind of say, it may not be a series of best practices or not, but these were the experiences that we had. This is the counsel that we offer you. Um, and this is how you might be able to put it to work. So it feels like in a way, sort of an extension of that same shop talk that we were having, you know, peer to peer before. Anna Maria, you've been back a few years back in the agency world. Uh, I guess you're still in your honeymoon period a little bit, Corey. What would you, what would your piece <laughs> of advice be to Corey, having <laughs> had the, you know, four or five years, seen had a few rounds, yeah. worked with the holding company, you know, for, yeah. over numerous uh, results periods. You've got one coming up, for the right. full, first full year one for you, um, Corey. What, what was what was your advice? Well, you know, it's funny. We had dinner in August when you were still new. You're brand new. Brand new. And uh, that was a that, that was a fun, memorable um, evening because we did compare notes about what it was like to come from the client side and cross over into the agency side. And it, it's thrilling. Like, it's mostly an amazing experience because you, you can um, actually take the, the, the premise, which is as a CEO, your responsibility is value creation. You know, as a client, you have to drive value creation through the, the discipline of strategic communication and being the guide and the steward of that management discipline for the company. Um, and then as a CEO, it's like you're building a business that's delivering value for clients and the business is a business of people. And so you're stretching into everything you've learned, you know, in our case, um, at large agencies and P&L 
uh, uh, with P&L responsibilities and then as senior clients advising CEOs and boards through highly material situations. In this role, you get to put it all together. And um, it's, I think it's deeply satisfying. It's deeply challenging, but it's deeply satisfying. So I think just having that commitment, just understanding that, that you know, putting together the value creation imperative um, as a CEO with the experience and the counsel um, around strategic communication yeah. is the sweet it's, spot. It's a people business, isn't it? I remember when you were at Google, you were saying you were spending 50, 60% of your time on employee engagement. So right. I guess it's it's actually uh, those parts, uh, you can learn a lot from the processes. Um, so much. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, had you, when you, when you were talking to uh, WPP about this role, was this the the idea of merging Hill and Norton and Burson on the table then when you came in, no. or was this something that happened, you know, after you arrived? No, and- much, much later. Uh, yeah. What Mark and I were really talking about from the start, I mean, the, the very first conversation, I wasn't sure that we were actually having a conversation about the job. I thought we were actually having a conversation about like people I knew or, you know, uh, uh, WPP, obviously, Google is one of their biggest global clients, mm-hmm. but not a huge client from a PR perspective. So I thought maybe that was, you know, part of the discussion was like, you know, how can we do better to sort of expand our remit? And then it became clear to me that like, no, we were actually talking about this job. And the first uh, comment that I made to him was just like, you know, look, I met Harold Burson once. It was a very memorable meeting. Uh, I, I was at a Arthur Page dinner where uh, Roger Bolton had invited him to speak. Pretty much everything that he had to say from stage resonated for me almost precisely in terms of what I believed in, especially that actions were really the hall pass that gave you the permission to communicate, you know, that you had to demonstrate the values that you believed in in order to be able to affirm those in any kind of communication plan. And I was just like, this, this is my guy. I I completely align with that. And so, so yeah, when Mark and I were talking, the first conversation after I figured out it was about a job was like, you know, well, you've kind of buried the lead, haven't you? I mean, Burson is the B in BCW. I'd love to see you get out of this sort of uh, alphabet world that you live in now and perhaps bring that person back in the form of not, um, not making him sort of like a, a figure, you know, on a platform, but more like what he stood for and the values that have held true for 70 years, because I think so many of us that are in client jobs fundamentally believe all those things. So that would resonate much better. So that was the conversation. The, the idea with, you know, the two of our firms together came much, much later and was really more of a tandem conversation that Mark was having with both of us yeah. at that point. So look, you mentioned um, <clears throat> the econ- economics of you know, developing AI across both agencies and not doing both separately. Obviously, whenever any merger happens, there are cost savings to be had. You don't need two accounting systems. You don't need two HR functions. You don't need two country managers in in every part of the world. So, look, the, there are usually cost savings and job cuts as a result of it. And that's one of the, frankly, the business drivers for doing it. So how are you uh, approaching that with this with this merger process? Well, as we just said, I mean, I think the first stop for us is thinking about uh, the areas where we complement one another. So today's announcement is a good example of this, right? I mean, it wasn't as though we were saying like one BCW person here, one Hill and Knowlton person here. It just so happens that uh, in our case, you really do have sort of like this embarrassment of riches that we can draw from where we really can assemble the best of the best team so that was the first step, was really giving some certainty. And you, you would have noticed in today's announcement that it was really all 
uh, key country and regional appointments. So the people that are the closest to our clients, they're the closest to our teams that serve clients. Um, that in and of itself is not super duplicative. You know, as you pointed out before, where the two of us are already working on a client like Ford, we've already sorted out where we have complementary skills and where we have a team that essentially forms one team as opposed to like one and a half teams. So to us, the biggest decisions to make were sort of at that level to give some certainty to clients about the teams that they were working with, our teams to, you know, sort of where are they reporting and, you know, how will that clarity continue? To your point, I mean, there are months ahead where we will have to look at where the areas of common skill are and what decisions are to be made there. We're doing it at much bigger scales. So I think that's the thing that we really have to wrap our heads around is sort of thinking about, uh, at the, at the level of scale at which we will operate in the future with the number of clients we have across the number of markets that we serve and the way that we need to bring that expertise in, it's, it's not as simple as kind of saying like, well, there must be efficiencies to be had. I think we have to work through those kinds of things. And it will be months, I think, before we can get to ground with what that looks so like. So what would your message be to person, people and Hill and Norton people watching, listening to this, maybe especially the Hill and Norton people who might feel a bit more nervous given the branding? What would your message be to them on that? It's the same message that we gave when we first announced this, which is we're super excited about what we're building together. There really is sort of a partnership of equals. And so, you know, nomenclature about the branding of the firm aside, I think that's really where where both teams can come together and service. Uh, I mean, it's really client excellence. What's the quality of the work that we're delivering? What's the trust level that we've developed with our, our clients? And then what's the focus of those teams? And as you pointed out, I think we have new things. Uh, some of the innovation that we're building through these AI tools like Decipher, like Sonar, that are giving us a whole new sort of set of levers to be able to pull with clients to help them determine, in the case of Decipher, mis and disinformation, how quickly is it traveling? How believable is it? What does it tell you about like, you know, sort of brand level issues and then how to use uh, generative AI to message to some of those issues. So it's a really interesting uh, proposition for us to think of in terms of like, how are we building uh, the right set of tools and capabilities to bring to market on behalf of our clients? Some, some of the important messages right now, I feel like to employees really center around purpose and the fact that strategic communication has never mattered more than it does today. I mean, the speed of change, the technologies, the disruption, the geopolitical environment. I mean, this is the time to have a career in strategic communication and demand for our services. Certainly is, not journalism. It's, anyway, <laughs> that's another discussion. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just an, it's an extraordinary time to be doing what we're doing. And, you know, you asked me what advice I, I have. I mean, I think running these businesses today, um, the imperatives are around you have to run it so that you can invest in talent and you can invest in technology. And that is a high hurdle because you have to have a profitable business and you have to have incentives and you have to have a way of investing in today's and tomorrow's technology. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky business to, to lead and to run today. And you have to be very commercial and you have to earn those types of dollars to be able to do that. But, but talent and technology is the way forward. And so, you know, our, as we bring these, this company together, our intention is to elevate talent and to elevate technology. Yeah, and you've announced some leadership um, changes this morning. Um, Christine Boyden takes on the uh, America's CEO role. Craig Buchholz becomes US CEO, and another person with massive client experience, P&G GM. Um, 
and Simon Whitehead takes on um, a UK okay. role. Richard Miller is leaving the business. So mm -hmm. do you want to talk through those those sort of leadership changes, Anna Maria, and maybe talk a little bit about Richard and, and why sure. he's leaving? Yeah, no, I, I'd be delighted to. I mean, uh, Craig, we hired last year. Um, actually, he's he's still new. He we hired him. He started in July, and yeah. uh, and it, that was a thrill because he was our client at PNG, and he was someone I knew from you know back when I was at Dupont. And he was at PNG. We shared an activist, and and we uh, we uh, we traded professional notes in the way that you were discussing earlier, Corey. Um, so our relationship goes back to those days, and it was just it was just a thrill to recruit him to Helen Knowlton. Um, and uh, you know, for him, his scope and mandate really grows. I mean, you know, the scale of the U.S. organization he'll be leading is much larger. Sure. And I think that's really very exciting for him. Um, Simon Whitehead is a great example of someone who's been a long-serving Helen Knowlton leader. He's done a great job with our U.K. business. Um, he's also our global energy and industrials practice leader. And he's, he's really helped us uh, with that part of our business over the years. And I've really enjoyed partnering with Simon. Um, you know, we have a close senior management group at at Helen Knowlton. We have a global leadership council of like our first, uh, our top 20 or 25 people. It meets regularly, drives collaboration, helps drive culture and problem solving. You know, so we all feel very connected. And I always feel like that's what's been special about what's been going on at Helen Knowlton the last few years is we've brought amazing new people into the business, but we've also, I think, stretched and grown a lot of long serving people. Um, and, and it's been exciting to see their careers develop. And Simon's a good example of that. Uh, you know, Richard, um, has has had a brilliant 20-something year career at Helen Knowlton. He's made massive contributions in so many different dimensions. And uh, we love him and we're grateful to him. And, you know, he told me that this was the right time for him to write the next chapter of his story, you know. So we collaborated on that and decided, you know, when was the right time. And um, he'll be remain a friend to all of us. I'm totally sure of that. And he'll, his impact and influence on the company will be really visible for a long time. I might yeah. build on two things that Anna Maria talked about. Well, first of all, you asked about Christine KB. So yeah. uh, KB was uh, someone known to me from, uh, from Edelman days. So she is someone who had worked with me both in the Starbucks era and the, and the Salesforce era. She had been most recently the chief communications officer at Cruise, which is where she and Craig knew one another because Craig was at GM. She was at Cruise, which of course is owned by GM. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they too had had a lot of shop talk uh, trading back and forth. And, uh, she's amazing. I mean, and, and you, you spoke of, and this is what I wanted to build on this idea of, of culture. And, um, I think one of the things that, uh, we are going to have the unique opportunity to do is to build a culture, uh, that essentially sort of takes as a foundational element, these things that we align on or agree to and where we know the growth opportunities are, as you say, to elevate talent, to elevate technology. I think, you know, that that's the opportunity that we see. KB is a culture builder. Like already I see her bringing in talent in healthcare, in digital, that's already elevating, was elevating BCW even before the merger. And I think it gives us again, this chance to sort of look at what's the best of the best uh, that we can do together. So when you have leaders like Craig, leaders like Simon, leaders like KB that really have a demonstrated history of being able to build not just business or opportunity, but culture, uh, that's a hugely important thing for a fundamentally new brand in the marketplace to be able to do, especially one with a you know legacy or a story to history like Harold Burson's. Yeah. You know, we got Brian Burlingham, who's, yeah, you yeah. know, we got him through the Jeffrey Group Jeffrey acquisition, Group. acquisition, you know, yeah. and we had so much support from WPP for that acquisition. It was a great 
you know, example of our growth strategy and the, the inorganic part of that growth strategy. So I, I feel I feel a lot of pride and happiness today with, yeah, with yeah. those leadership announcements. And more to come, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna Maria, we're just starting work on our annual agency business report. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the byproducts of what's happened over the last two or three years is there are fewer female CEOs. So, mm-hmm. you know, Donna Imperato left and you're no longer a CEO. Barry Rafferty left Ketchum. Um, and if you actually look at the top 20 agencies, there's only a couple of female CEOs. Is that a, and I remember when I first sort of 15 years ago started this, it was mainly guys. Then we got to a stage where it was pretty much 50-50 in the top firms between the genders in leading mm-hmm. leading it. Where do you think we're at with that? And is that a, is that a concern that there aren't more female leaders uh, at the very top level of, of agencies? Well, I mean, there's a couple of ways I'd like to address that. And one of which is, is that we have amazing senior level women in the industry and a whole generation that's coming up, some of whom are in our company. And I feel very optimistic about them. I feel very optimistic about their futures and uh, and the opportunities that they're going to continue to have. So I wouldn't overinterpret this moment. Um, and also, I wouldn't totally devalue the chairman role either. No, I'm because just, right, no, no. <laughs> because there yeah, is we're, par- we're partners in this endeavor. Yeah, yeah, there, no, is, but, you know. there, there is a lot of work to do, and uh, you know, you know, in terms of uh, leading uh, such a large um, enterprise through a passage like this, and then thinking about, you know, what how do we create the future? Like there's a lot of creativity involved and I, and I feel like we have to be very open-minded about what the future could be. And that includes the future, you know, for roles and, and how they evolve and progress and how leadership is grown, you know? So I actually feel like this is a very creative moment. And um, I feel that, uh, you know, it's, it's cyclical, I suppose, you, you know, everything in life kind of ebbs and flows and you can't take a moment in time and generalize it. Right. So I think we just have to stay focused on the development of talent, uh, whether it's women or men. So, Corey, talking, well of, talking of our agency, <laughs> talking of our agency report, who will be number one on the uh, revenues list well, that's, when that's, we do it? This, that's my question for uh, you. We, we don't know these things. We don't say these things. You so know, you have no idea what revenues the combined person new operation has. Well, we, we have an idea, but we're not going <laughs> to say it here. That's for sure. So, yeah. Um, and that's, that's really, I think, more for uh, you guys as industry watchers to sort of opine about or to, to take stock of, you know, I think where our focus is, uh, is really on the quality of the work that we deliver, right? It's, it's not about the bigness of the agency. It's not about the size or the scale of the place or where we sit in some sort of league table or whatever it might be. I mean, that's, that's not why any of us come in. I don't think that's a particularly motivating thing for our clients as a client in particular. That yeah, was yeah. really, no, that, that wasn't even on my radar. Inside baseball. Yeah. I think sure. it's more important that your client feels like you have a great dedicated team you have, they're essentially your agency is an extension of your internal team. So, I mean, the trust you have to have on some of the most material things that a company deals with in any given week, month, or year is, is huge. And so, um, for us, I think the, the focus is really on the quality of the work that we do for clients. Um, even awards aren't really a perfect arbiter of that. They're great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I, our people are very proud when they win awards, but even that isn't the perfect arbiter of that. I think it's more of the internal gauge that we have and the 
discussion we're having with clients about the quality of that work and that the teams feel like, you know, this is a great growth opportunity for me. I'm learning a lot. You know, I can demonstrate that learning and the quality of the work. I feel rewarded fairly for what I do. So um, we'll let you guys worry about where we rank or don't rank. We're, right. we're good with we're where good. we we'll sit. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Just to finish, we've gone deep on this story, but it's the biggest story in PR for a long time. So make no apology that. Just uh, to finish up this segment, what can we expect over the next six months? What other things are you both looking to roll out and, uh, and, and you know, what's, what's in store? Exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's an exciting time. It <laughs> it's a busy time. There's a lot to do. Uh, I mean, as we said in the announcement, you know, the transaction, the, the merger will become official yeah, as of July. Um, and so, you know, for us, they're really Why sort of but just, I mean, you're obviously making just, moves and it, it maps to the WPP financial calendar. So really this was sort of an agreement within WPP to give us enough time to make uh, some measured and thoughtful decisions about people, about structure, about the way that we were thinking about what we wanted the new firm to look like. There's a whole branding operation that we need to sort of put into play and be, be thinking about. So this will give us just enough time, not too much time, but just enough time for us to really think about all the things Anna Maria said before, you know, how are we best deploying our talent? How are we thinking about the technology that we've been developing both independently and what that might mean together and what unique levers that gives us in the marketplace. I think, you know, life still goes on, business still goes on. And so each firm has both the client work that it was independently doing or doing together, but also pitching for new business. And so we have opportunities to do that both independently and together. The together times are really exciting for us because that gives us a flavor or a sense of what that might look like in the future. Um, and, you know, as Anna Maria said, very, uh, accurately at the beginning of this discussion. I mean, this is almost an unprecedented time for communicators when you think about just the sheer volume and velocity of the headwinds that face companies of any size anywhere in the world. Um, and what the sort of calibration of those headwinds are, right? Whether it's political headwinds, economic headwinds, employee headwinds, you know, the, uh, competitive headwinds, all those things. We think that the size and scale of what we can bring to the market, the areas of specialty that we've developed, and just the the heritage, the history that Burson sort of implies gives us a real, it's the bits between our teeth, right? So, I mean, this will be the months ahead is sort of us galloping through, you know, all the work to be done so that by the time we get to July, we sort of hit the pavement at full speed and uh, our clients feel that and our prospects feel yeah. that. And more importantly, our people feel that. Yeah. We're okay. going to be traveling around the world. Yeah. Doing a bit of a road show. Yeah, so. exactly. And there'll be a lot of town halls. We had one in London last week. It. it was like a yeah, fire code great. moment. There were more people in the room than I'd ever seen. And yeah. uh, it was terrific to get the feedback, hear their questions and, and just feel the energy, the excitement level, you know, it's, it's cool to see these people together. So, well, we look forward to tracking it at PR Week. So thanks for joining us today. And uh, we'll get your take on some of these stories coming up. Frank, AI has been our big, well, you can't get away from it in any format, can you? But we, we try to cut through a bit of the BS, shall we say, and uh, identify things that are really happening and real trends. And uh, and we also had our Dashboard 25 list. So talk, talk us through it a little bit. That's right. And the broad theme of both of them is, you know, we're moving from the, the talking to doing stages in terms of what the industry is doing with AI. You know, for the past few years, the big question has been, what is what is everybody up to? What are my competitors up to with, with, AI, with AI? And now we're really starting to see that 
put into place. So uh, this year's Dashboard 25 list, um, it takes a look at some of the most innovative people who are working on AI. It's a special edition uh, throughout the industry. And it, it has, I'll, I'll call out a few of them. We have, uh, as you mentioned before, Chad Latz from BCW, Joanna Draben from Prowley. Uh, we have Wasim Khaled from Blackbird AI. And, and these are the really interesting companies that are going to be um, playing a role with their agencies and clients in what's going to be an exceptionally busy business environment and election year. So it's a great list as it is every year. So check it out. Yeah. And check out Brandon Durer's feature alongside it, where he talks about how AI is being used in creativity, yep. the ethical issues around it, the bias issues around it. And how to prompt. It. How to prompt. Yeah. You can learn how to prompt. Um I should read that bit myself, actually. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we, need, we probably don't need to plug one of your Hall of Famers, but I mean, I don't know. Did you see uh, Frank Shaw's blog this week on AI in the newsroom and what uh, Microsoft is doing there? I haven't read it yet, but Frank's of, of an obvious leader in that space. It's, um, it's extraordinary. I mean, you mentioned it before, which is just, you know, sort of the existential question of like, you know, well, there's the PI, there's the PR part of it, but then there's the newsroom part of it. And it's clear that that team has done enough work in the lab and in partnership with journalists that they've really given some clear thought to sort of where they think the tool set that Microsoft is developing can be deployed. Um, it's it's a great post, but it also to me was a very empathetically written kind of like, hey, we're 50-50 between what we're trying to do on our side of the table and how you all are wrestling with, you know, the storytelling aspect in the newsroom. Well, Frank it's and I have long sort of accepted that we're going to be replaced by robots, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we may already have been. That was not a part of <laughs> Frank's blog, actually. No, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> um, it's interesting because between that and Brandon's feature, one big part of this is that guidelines are starting to become a big thing mm -hmm. in terms of how we're going to use AI, how we're not going to use AI, what, uh, and you, you do need the human touch with all of it, don't you? So, Well, you mentioned being up in front of Congress. Um, we've all seen those hearings where let's just say that the level of technical knowledge is not necessarily yeah. <laughs> at the top level when you're being questioned. And we had another example last week with them all, all hauled up. Sure. Mm -hmm. But we need better than that for AI. And, and yes. if, if AI, even some of the founders of AI are like casting a bit of doubt on it. So I think regulation in AI, certainly at Davos, was one of the big topics. Like how yeah. is how are we going to get effective regulation when even the people who are building this don't know you know, fully what what the potential is or what the implications are. So I think that is, Huge I challenge. think, Frank, yeah. that is a, mm -hmm. a really, it's well worth checking out. And we've tried to cut through the noise. You know, shareholders love a bit of AI, don't they? And just put it into your results statement. But at some point, you've really got to start showing results and concrete yeah. Yeah, sure. actions and how it's going to impact things and how it can improve people's work and get them maybe operating at a higher level. And that applies to PR as, as much as journalism what a great point, as well. Uh, you just made, Steve. You know, so last week at uh, WPP's Capital Markets Day, one of the pods within the discussion was uh, Stefan Pretorius, who's our, our head of uh, sort of information services across WPP, who gave a demo of some of the work that's actually happening in some of our ad uh, agency brethren about how AI is being used in creative campaigns. It's really interesting. And I think a lot more tangible, particularly for people, uh, you know, who are, who are covering us, perhaps from a street perspective, but may not be as close to the workflow day to day, to actually see the way that agencies are using these tools on behalf of real client work, and then to show, well, from this workflow came this work. So the more tangible examples we can bring, hopefully then your point about guidelines, you start to see mm -hmm. how these guardrails sort of factor into the way that the work is being 
produce. Yeah, because yeah. at the moment you, the holding companies seem to be having a competition to, as to who can spend say the they're going to spend the more the most hundreds of millions on <laughs> AI to to get those uh, analysts excited. Yeah, to us, more more exciting to show the work. I think, <laughs> like I, yeah, work. I think we're gaining critical mass. I mean, I really yeah. think that that uh, when you take a look at how we're applying AI to create brains, you know, that 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 can, artificial intelligence brains that can advance everything you do from a brand standpoint, from an audience standpoint, from a channel standpoint, it starts to get very tangible very quickly. And having been on the WPP executive committee now for a couple of years, I can see that progression like yeah. from quarter to quarter to quarter. It is moving like like a locomotive. It's 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 getting fast. And we've just completed a study to look at the application of AI in the PR value chain and to see, you know, what are the opportunities, you know, for efficiency, for creative, for content. And taking the results of that study and doing now doing pilots in the company, you know, to really just start to push the envelope, drive adoption of AI, and also make sure that ultimately it is adding value and not, you know, and, and not destroying value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and keeping on the holding company tip, Frank Omnicom has put out its uh, full year 2023 and Q4 financials. Um, not not stunning, were they? But they were on the back of high um comparatives from the prior year. Exactly. Let me give it in a sort of bad news first, good news second kind of way. So uh, PR revenue was down 2.9% organically in Q4, uh, and it dipped 0.8% for all of 2023. But as you mentioned, it was down against what was a really good quarter and a uh, midterm election quarter specifically uh, for Omnicom in 2022. So a tough comparable for them there. Corey, is that a bellwether for what we've got coming from uh, the other holding companies? Well, again, probably more of a question for you guys than it is for, for us. I think we we each have our own road to hoe when it comes to that. Well, you must have some idea. Well, surely, uh, I mean, maybe you can't talk about it, but I mean... Well, uh, we have an idea. We're just not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem, listeners, you know? <laughs> Sarbanes-Oxley was brought in to <laughs> encourage transparency around... Uh, Accounting, but uh, seems to have been the opposite. But anyway, we're in a we're in a blackout period. We're in a right quiet yes. so, you know, <laughs> Well, let me be plausible. Let me just say, we have markets. Uh, event, was it? <laughs> we have Interpublic Group's earnings coming Thursday morning. So, yeah. well, I'll have a better idea then. WPP is always a couple of weeks later, aren't yep. they? Um, and we'll see what Publicis does, although they don't uh, break out their PR numbers specifically. But yeah, always uh, an interesting bellwether. And obviously, they're the full year results. So um, yeah, look, I think we had two incredible years as an mm-hmm. industry where mm-hmm. For sure. we showed like 15 to 20% growth. You mm-hmm. know, they keep doing that every year. Right. And we know Amazing. it's been tougher. So yeah. I think a lot of the companies have, all, ha- have held on to their COVID gains. I mm. mean, you know, that's how I think about us. When you look at the net gains over over those couple of years, like we've held on to those gains. So, yeah. yeah. So looking forward to the numbers to back it up. Um, let's talk about the Grammys and Taylor Swift. Mm. How many podcasts in a row have we talked about Taylor well, Swift now? It's been a I few. I mean, you, we, we probably have to talk about her in every yeah. podcast and the Super Bowl is coming up as well. Yeah, we're, Will we're, she be there or will she be in Japan? It He's sounds the, like she's going to make it, or at least the, the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo says she's going to make it. So <laughs> that, was, uh, that was one of the better press releases of yeah, uh, 2024. It was good. <laughs> it was good. Um, right. So the Grammys, in a full disclosure, I was watching True Detective at the time. But um, really interesting in that a number of brands tried to get ahead of the moment, anticipating she was going to announce uh, a new album coming. But a lot of them ha- seemed to have the wrong album 
in that yeah. they were looking for uh, her to do, you know, her version of it. And I won't go through the, all the details of why she's doing her own versions of her old albums, um, of her album Reputation. But uh, instead, that's why. Yes. On the Masters. But she uh, instead announced a totally new album. And uh, a lot of brands were kind of stuck with, um, you know, things with the, the black and white coloring from the album they anticipated wrongly. So um, Are any songs about Travis on the new album. That's a good question. I, I I can't say I've heard it, but there have been reports that he has heard it and he's a big fan. Well, he couldn't well, you exactly know what, say he's not. Really. <laughs> if, if he's got a lot. He's got a lot going on this week. To be gonna, fair. Yeah, he's a little. He's a little predisposed, yeah. I think, or indisposed. But I mean, if you're going to talk about the Grammys, I think the real conversation for the Grammys was about Tracy Chapman, was it not? Yeah. And that, you know, yeah. she she hadn't been heard live in what was it, maybe a couple decades mm-hmm. or something. And uh, you know, look, the the thing is that there have been a lot of think pieces written since that moment. I'm not sure that it really requires much of the think piece other than to say she was amazing in her heyday. She's amazing now. The fact that she hadn't performed in so long and literally stepped up with her most famous song and just slayed. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this. There's some videos that have been circulating on social media where you can see a younger Tracy Chapman at Wembley by herself, a full Wembley by herself, acoustic guitar in hand, playing fast car and silencing tens of thousands of people. So I think you don't need Luke Combs to give her her flowers. Just give her her flowers now because she deserves them. I'm that old, was the moment yeah, for I'm me. I'm old enough to remember the Tracy Chapman first time around. And uh, does that mean that the if live events like the Grammys are still relevant and for advertisers and, pe- and brands who want to associate with them? Or are we watching that as a clip after the event or, or even a clip during the evening, you know, and not actually sitting there and watching it and having the advertising and, and branding. I play. think that's such a good question, Steve. I mean, actually, I think the way that a lot of viewers are watching it now is in tandem, aren't yeah. they? They're yeah. watching it's it both. on yeah. the screen, but it's they're watching both. it on the small screen and they're watching what each other is saying. And so what started now as a result of Tracy Chapman's moment is a whole discussion about other uh, legends that haven't performed in many years. Sade would be a good example yeah. of this, right? Like she hasn't performed in this country since 2010. Wouldn't it be amazing if you put her on an award show, the same social conversation translates to the kind of interest that like bring her back out and have her play, I don't know, small clubs or something like well, that. Well, she was the highest selling female artist for many years in yes. the US. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. Shade was. So I think, yeah. So I think, yeah. I don't know. Was, amazing. Yeah. But both, I think, right? I, yeah. I think that it's, it's both relevant as a clip and relevant as something shareable or stackable. That and you as an experience around. and as an event. Yes. You know? and, and that's the creative opportunity, you know, to execute better than anybody else. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into Super Bowl because that is something you watch live because you want to, well, a lot of people do because um, you want to know who's going to win the game. And um, the Super Bowl <laughs> ads are going for, what, seven million uh, yeah, uh, throw for thirty it's, seconds. It's obviously crazy, a record. Even more, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you the few <laughs> things I'm watching. Obviously, the game, and um, I, I don't know if you're going to ask me to make a prediction. I will if you ask me. But, um, but who's going to win, yeah, Frank? Well, I I think that um, I think Kansas City will win again, and I think they will they will force San Francisco's young quarterback into a few mistakes, and that will that will be the game. But um, I'm the, just sad with Detroit Lions aren't there. <laughs> Almost. They, tough sh- they showed well. Quite they a story. really did. Yeah, tough if, one. Uh, if Coach makes a couple different uh, X and O's decisions, decisions yeah, yeah, you know, down and distance decisions, they're probably in. Yeah, yeah. I would I would agree with all those points. So um, <laughs> what I would say about it, though, is it we really, won't talk about Seattle's performance this year. But anyway, <laughs> <Frank>. <laughs> I don't have anything to say for myself, actually. So what I, what I would um, 
we say is we're going to take a look at how much of the discussion is on X, formerly known as Twitter, what it's like, how much of it relates to Taylor Swift, how much of it relates to the game, and also the, the tone of it, uh, how much of it is bearable, you know, uh, what sneaks into the conversation that shouldn't. Um, another side thing is the reputation of Las Vegas as a Super Bowl host and mm-hmm. a, um, a host for big sporting events such as the Super Bowl because there have been some complaints from both of the teams so far uh, about the, the training facilities, the fields, mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, also where the journalists are staying, uh, which <laughs> I won't say who, but one of the gambling aficionados on in our company has said the Luxor is not a nice place to stay. And he's very disappointed <laughs> that the journalists all got stuck there. So, but this is, this is, I think a real thing Nobody in terms of about the journalists. Anymore. Yeah, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see Las Vegas as a destination for the major events. Yeah. Like this. Well, Frank, maybe there's yeah. a third thing to talk about too, which is just the nature of the Super Bowl audience. So for years, this was maybe the one football game that many people would watch. Maybe they didn't have a favorite team or maybe they didn't really care about the regular season, but because of the fact that you've got you know, it's the final game of the season. The ad Super Bowl is in tandem with the actual sports Super Bowl. Well, yeah. It was a global sport. But what's interesting is, is the nature of the audience now that Taylor Swift has brought so many women, particularly young women, to the screen to watch the game. And to me, this could be the cultural sporting event of at least this decade, right? In terms of the sheer number of eyeballs that are on this and what that new cohort, new to the sport, new to this arena has to say about the game itself, Taylor watching the game, what her boyfriend does or doesn't do on the field. But that that's a new dynamic that we have not seen yet. And I think Roger Goodell should be sending Taylor a very nice thank you note, <laughs> if not much, much more uh, for doing that, because it just changes. It, it, it does what he's been trying to do for years, which is change the demographic watching his sport. Yeah, as I said earlier, if, what happens when they split up, if they do. But um, she's the ultimate influencer, isn't she? She's the biggest influencer she's in the world. There's, spectacular. Well, she's she, a she's, supernova. She's created, she has created basically a portal between the NFL and women. Mm. And, I mean, it's extraordinary. And, you know, women are now, yeah, women are now like creating so much NFL related social content. It's, it's crazy. And you make the point about about the, the, the thank you that Roger Goodell should express. I'm fascinated to see what the NFL is going to do with this because it's a, it's a huge opportunity because, you know, women's women, I think women love the sport, but I think they, you know, are aware of the problems of racism and sexism and other related problems Mm. in the NFL. And this could be a step change, but it needs a strategy. Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) So. Yeah. I hope so. All right, Frank, (laughs) let's quickly whip through the last few stories. Uh, Grindr has appointed an interesting new agency, actually one that's much better known in the UK than the the U S yeah, they, uh, Grinder is going to be working with the Romans, which, like you said, is a UK-based agency. And uh, thank goodness this is a PG-13 um, <laughs> rated podcast because they they have said they are going to be creating, and this is their quote, gag-worthy initiatives. So I will okay. leave that there. Well, they are now in New York as well, the Romans. Yeah, so, they are. Um, and there's a bit of a renaissance and uh, firms from the UK putting their, their footprint here. Trying to bring our creativity to the... This, it's interesting if you see look at, a few pop up here and there. Yeah, if you look at PR Week UK, it's firms like the Romans and creative hot shops tend to win yeah. the awards rather than the big holding company firms a little bit more. So, whereas over here it does tend to be more of the bigger firms. So that's just a, a difference in the. It's a little bit more creative, I guess, in the in the London market. And some of them come over and do really well. Freud's came over. Um, others 
kind of crash and burn. So we'll see how they, they've, they're a very creative shop and um, look forward to seeing how they make it in the US market. On the move. Mm-hmm. And just round us up, people moves and account wins. Yes, yeah, Smoothie King, they are going to be working with Allison Broad as their PR AOR. They have been working on some social media initiatives and also uh, what they call the Clean Blends Initiative, which focuses on a healthy lifestyle and healthy ingredients uh, and emphasizing those. Uh, in terms of some people moves, um, the Chief Communications Officer, Colgate Palmolive, Paula Davis, is, uh, is stepping down. She is launching in real life ventures which is a startup dedicated uh to empowering children she's a great bcw client so best of luck to you paula verizon uh they have named Allstate stacy sharp as chief communications officer she replaces jim garachi uh who is exiting another great leader exiting after 37 (laughs) years uh at the telecommunications company okay so listen Corey, Anna Maria, great to chat to you. Been looking forward Thanks to this for show. Us. Hope we didn't give you too much of a hard time. I no. thought it was very gentle, actually. It was a, it was um, a great discussion. Yeah. And I just want to go on the record, Steve, as having made good on the promise that, uh, you know, before I talked to anybody, before we talked to anybody, we talked to PR Week, did we not? Well, you know where, you know where to reach the best audience and especially the client audience and the right channel. But it's yeah, we a appreciate a good union it. of like minds. And we it is an award-winning it. podcast. It is <laughs> an award-winning <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the Oscars of PR in March and uh, some of our other events. We've got the awards coming up on the 14th of March in New York. Our Crisis Comms event is on the 18th of April in D.C., We have the Global Awards in London on the 15th of May, our Healthcare Awards in New York on the 21st of May, and our Women of Distinction event is in New York on the 30th of May. So busy Mm -hmm. couple of months coming up. And uh, as I said, Agency Business Report is open for submissions. Get your forms in. Yours shouldn't take too long to fill in because you just put Sarbanes, Sarbanes, cannot comment, cannot oh, comment. Yeah, we'll look forward to that and we'll look forward to interviewing you for it. But thank you so much. Thank you for having and, us. Uh, thank you, Frank. And we'll see you next time on the PR Week. Yeah.